Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. The plan this morning is to talk about three spiritual practices that have been helpful for me since I've been a believer. And what I'd like to do this morning is inspire you to maybe consider some of these practices. They're applications to um, principles in Scripture, but um, they have been very helpful for me over the last few years. And I want to base this talk this morning on this underlying assumption that God is interested in the complete transformation of who we are as people. He, he is very interested in our being born again and being translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But I have a sense from reading the scriptures that he's interested in more than just um, a, an impulsive decision to be saved. He is interested in the complete transformation of our inner being. Uh, we see this in Romans 12. Uh, two, let's go to that next, that next passage. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's talking about a transformation process that's a work of the Holy Spirit, but that we have a responsibility for participating in. Somehow there's this um, interaction between our participation and his sovereign work. And so that's probably for volumes of theological works to figure out where um, our effort and where the grace of God, how they interact. You can read Romans or Galatians 5 and and get a very clear perspective that we cannot earn our salvation, we cannot earn our sanctification. But there is a deliberate process of participating with the Holy Spirit if we want to become more like Jesus. Now, God has put in place certain practices and in the olden days, you used to hear the old pastors call these means. They're ways that God has laid out for us to become more like Jesus. And you, in recent writing, we've seen these called spiritual disciplines. So I'm going to talk about three of these spiritual disciplines or practices, I'm calling them this morning. But these can be, if you look at the big group that people write about today, um, you see practices such as reading, memorizing, and meditating on Scripture, fasting, prayer, solitude, simplicity, and service. And so the idea is through a disciplined lifestyle, year after year, staying in these disciplines, that we begin to grow more and more into the image of who God planned for us to be when he created us. I have seen in, especially in the last, I would say last 10 years, a resistance to the idea of discipline in the Christian life. A real resistance. I'm also seeing in literature a resurgence of the idea that we need to to carry out our part in the process of becoming more like Jesus. Um, All you have to do is read the book of Proverbs. I mean, just pick up the Proverbs. One proverb per day for 30 days, and you can see the role of discipline in becoming a person that is influential, that manages their their finances in a healthy way, that handles relationships in 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 a productive way. There is just a role of discipline that we can't get away from. 
But it's not just an Old Testament concept. It's also a very clear New Testament concept that we have to be disciplined. Let's look at 1 Timothy 4, 7. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Now, I've heard that scripture for years, but about a month and a half back I was reading that, and I began to just, the light went off. There is a responsibility to train ourselves to be godly. Now, I don't have this passage up here, but I've really been inspired by this, this passage. It's 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the, as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. The Apostle Paul was very clear that to be a disciple of Jesus means that we have to discipline ourselves. We have to exert effort to grow. So the point of spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices, it's, it's complete transformation. It's not outward conformity to a religious outward standard. It's a complete transformation of the inner person. But um, we have to be really careful because when you look at these spiritual disciplines, especially if you're a person that's oriented towards formulas or recipes or even discipline, if these become efforts or um, a ways to, to please or earn favor with God, they will eventually become nothing but dead laws and drudgery. However, if they're looked at as opportunities to grow in intimacy and in Christ-likeness, they can be sources of great joy and pleasure. So I just want to preface that with um, that idea. But it's so important that we take this idea critically um, or seriously to, to grow in Christ-likeness. And, I, and you see it too. There's a major disconnect today in American Christianity between being a professing Christian and living the Christian life that we see in the New Testament major disconnect. We see our leaders falling all over the place. I mean, I work in a Christian school, and so I, I see this firsthand. I believe God is calling us back to disciplined lives of holiness, and I just, I believe that's what's happening. So this morning, I want to just jump into these um, specific spiritual practices. When you see a passage of Scripture, typically what you do is you observe the passage, you interpret the passage, which in most cases, unless there was a prophetic interpretation, there would be one clear interpretation of a passage if all of the tools of hermeneutics are being applied. But then there are many applications to spiritual principles. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump through observation. I'm going to jump through interpretation. I'm going to go right to the application. So these are the ways I've applied certain spiritual principles about these disciplines for my life. And I'm going to share some testimony along the way. So I don't really expect every one of you to to grasp onto these specific applications. These are the way I've applied these, um, and they've been really helpful. So the first one is memorizing the topical memory system. Raise your hand if you know what the topical memory system is. Okay, we have a few in here. This is going to be a sales pitch for the topical memory system. It's also uh, referred to as the TMS. The TMS is a scripture memory method or system that will help you memorize God's Word and establish, I would just call it a baseline or a foundation of truth that will yield benefits for your entire life. 
Now, we see throughout Scripture that we're, in, we're encouraged to hide God's Word in our heart. We see that all over the place. Um, we're, in t- we're called to meditate on God's Word day and night. We're called to hide it in our heart. Um, and so, there's no better way to do this, to meditate on God's Word, than to have it hidden deep into your heart. So, let's look at Psalm 119. And I've tried to kind of reduce some of the Scripture just to a couple of um, verses per point, just so we can focus. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's the psalmist. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, the topical memory system is, um, is a tool that was developed by uh, Dawson Trotman, the founder of the Navigators Ministry. Maybe you're familiar with the Navigators. Um, prior, to, prior to his conversion, Dawson Trotman was a hellraiser and a partier, and uh, he was a fighter, and he got into a lot of trouble, and uh, it was just typically a kind of a guy that you would not expect to, to meet the Lord, and, but the Lord got a hold of him, and he is now, his ministry that he started in the 1940s has become a worldwide ministry, and I remember reading his, his biography, is one of the ships that went down in Pearl Harbor had over 500 believers on that ship, and prior to the navigator's doing an outreach on that ship, there were maybe four or five believers, professing believers, but when that ship went down at Pearl Harbor, they knew that there were 500 men that had called themselves followers of Jesus through the Navigator ministry. So he had an incredible ministry. One of the things that Dawes Trotman did was to memorize Scripture. And so one of the, the jobs he had in his early days was to drive um, a, a semi-truck for a lumber company, and he began writing out on scraps of paper passages of Scripture and then the reference, and when he would get to a, an intersection or a stoplight, he would use that time to memorize Scripture. And they say that in the first few years, Dawson Trotman memorized thousands of passages of Scripture. And he was not a highly educated man. And it transformed Dawson Trotman's life from the inside out. Just the washing of the Word of God over his mind and his soul, it changed this man. So the TMS, just on a real practical level, it's 60 verses. Um, it, it comes in a package just like that if you order it or, or buy it at Mardell, and it comes in various translations. You can kind of tear off the cards and decide which translation you want to memorize. And it, if you wanted to follow it systematically, it would be two verses a week for 30 weeks, which would give you 60 verses, which could become, become the foundation for a lifetime of meditation on God's Word. If you want to go the extra step, there's a second pack called Life Issues, and it's, and it's organized even more so by topic. Um, over things that we really need to be um, aware of and schooled on when it comes to Scripture. You can look at other systems. I know John Piper has got one called the Fighter, Fighting It's Fighter Verses. It's a five-year program. I've kind of delved into that a little bit. Um, you can just simply get index cards and write out verses. But what I love about the TMS is if you get a buddy and you, said, we're gonna, and you say, we're going to do two verses a week, in 30 weeks you'll have done 60 verses. And if you continue meditating on those, it will yield fruit for the rest of your life. Now, I could sit here and tell you encounters I've had with the Lord with certain verses in that little pack. I remember one time in Colorado Springs, I just went out for a walk one day, and Romans 5.24 just was ruminating through my mind. I just had this rich time with the Lord. I remember one time um, down at Lake Texoma, a buddy and I went out, and we fished for stripers early in the morning. He got me up before I had a chance to have my time with the Lord, and I was out there casting in the in the, uh, in the water, and I remember just beginning to go through systematically these verses and had a rich, rich time with the Lord. So I've, I found it very helpful. Um, in 1989, um, I became a believer. 
I was uh, a partier, a self-indulgent fraternity guy at OU, and I was uh, just lost. And when I met the Lord, I came into the kingdom, but my mind was really in need of transformation, significantly. I was full of fear. I was full of insecurity. I was full of corrupt thoughts, all kinds of polluted thinking. And so my first pastor, his name was John Floyd at New Life Bible Church, down in Norman, took me to a little um, restaurant over on Boyd and uh, College Street, and we sat down, and he explained this TMS system to me. He may have even purchased one for me, and I got my little cards out, and my friend Pat O'Neill and I, we were roommates, we went through the whole 60 verses in 30 days, or 30 weeks, and um, it has been powerful, and it it has yielded fruit, I mean, since that time. I'm going to share a couple of things that God has done with this. I'm able to locate scriptures to encourage my soul easily because I have these verses in my mind. Sometimes when I just need um, some encouragement or some, some wisdom, God will bring one of these verses to me because they're already stored in my mind. Um, there have been times when I'm down here at the, on the prayer line praying for somebody and God will bring up a verse and it's a prophet, it'll be a prophetic word, but it's because that verse was cemented in my mind and it's just there ruminating. And then even something like this, this preaching and teaching, the verses are there, and, and it's almost like I have a catalog in my mind that I can go back to over and over and over. And I have to keep reviewing these. So I get out either the little pack or um, you can get an app on the phone. I think it's like $2.99 at um, Amazon. But it's really worth considering memorizing the TMS, and I would really recommend it. Um, Wayne Grudem said if he could do anything with his theology students, he would get them to memorize a set of systematic scriptures before they left seminary. That would be the most... Um, effective thing. So consider that. Number two is fasting from media. We may practice all of the spiritual disciplines, but through our engagement in media, we may be counteracting everything that we're going to great lengths to do to, to sanctify our souls. It may be counteracted with media. And most of it comes through our phones, as you know. Jesus assumed we would fast. I mean, he just said that, when you fast. So fasting typically is going without food. I mean, Jesus went without food and water. I don't recommend that unless, um, I don't recommend it at all unless God has told you directly. Um, But it's typically going without food for a period of time to commit yourself more wholly to the Lord, to be available, and also to break your dependence on something that's very powerful in in our life, which is food. But we can fast from all kinds of things to break this dependency. Um, I've got a growing conviction that modern Christians are going to have to start fasting from media if we're going to take our call to live holy lives and encounter God seriously. We're going to have to break the dependency we have on entertainment and media. And I'm this—I'm the most guilty. Um, I, I just—I was trained as a kid to to look for media as the thing that would soothe me. I would come home from work, come up, I guess it wasn't work, it felt like work as an elementary kid. Um, I would get a couple of ding-dongs or a Twinkie, and I would watch Gilligan's Island, I would watch Leave it to Beaver, and the shows progressed and progressed. But that's, that's how my childhood was spent. So my default is always to do something that is entertaining. But this is what James says. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. 
Now, I remember one time I was looking at this, at this video of a, a creek in India where people were drinking out of, and it was full of trash and sewage, and it was so thick you couldn't even see the water. It was just, it was just this conglomeration of trash and filth. I really, that's what I think about when I think of the word pollution. God has given us the ability to, to become holy in our thoughts and attitudes and actions, but yet sometimes the things we expose ourselves to willingly are completely polluting our souls. I see this as a school administrator all the time. If I began to go down and document the cases of the discipline issues that ended up in an office that I had to get involved in, I would say at least 50% of them are somehow tied to a phone and something digital. I mean, it has become a major stronghold, I believe, in the church. But it's not just isolated to kids. It's all of us. We're all vulnerable. If you have a phone, you are vulnerable. Hour after hour after hour exposing ourselves to godless ideas that contradict the truth of Scripture will change the way we think, feel, and act. It is inevitable. There is no way, absolutely no way. But I'm not just talking about pornography, which is an obvious um, issue. But I'm talking about just the negative media that we're exposed to, the, the fear-based reporting we see in the news, the, the materialism and the, the superficiality and the peer pressure um, that you see on social media. I mean, this stuff is just pervading who we are as the church and indiv- as individuals. And, and then also just the desensitization, desensitization that's happening in our souls as we use for entertainment things that grieve the heart of God and that we glorify things that Jesus came to set us free from and he died for. When we look at those things for entertainment's sake, I don't see how we justify it. I really don't. Jesus said, if something is causing you to sin, get rid of it aggressively. He said, if your arm is causing you to sin, cut it off. If your eye is causing you to sin, gouge it out. That's serious stuff. That's not, that's not the kind of sermon that, that wins friends and influences people. I mean, he's serious. Um, I, think, I think when somebody said, well, I'm glad it's, it was uh, metaphorical. I, I'm hoping it is because if not, we'd have a lot of blind and um, um, maimed people walking around the church. I want to share my story about this. Today is 42 days um, of my story. So 42 days ago, I, wa- I woke up. I got my new Bible out, buffalo skin. I got it at Mardell. It's like this precious thing. And I opened it up and I read it. Had this rich time with the Lord. I was full of the Holy Spirit. And as I walked from my little, my little cell where I have my quiet time into the kitchen, a song popped in my mind. Not a worship song. A song from the documentary... Spinal Tap from 1982. And I thought, oh, that was a great little song. And I started rehearsing it in my mind. And then I went to YouTube and said, Melissa, you've got to see this clip. And I showed Melissa, and she said, you think that's funny? You know, and I thought, well, yeah, I thought it's funny for 45, 40 years, you know. And, um, and so then I find myself getting ready for church. I'm shaving. And that silly little song just keeps looping through my brain. And whatever I had gained in my time with the Lord was now being absorbed by Spinal Tap. And that sounds somewhat silly, but I began to realize I'm 55 years old this summer. 
And the person I want to be when this thing wraps up is going to have to be, is going to require me to make some changes in the front end now. And so I decided I'm going to take a little break from my phone and from the internet. So I decided to start. I don't even know if I even had a timeline on it. But my, my thing was I'm not going to do any, any web searches. I'm just going to, I'm not going to look up anything. I mean, benign stuff, good stuff. I'm just going to take a break. Two or three days into it, I um, began to have a repulsion towards my phone. Now, my phone also represents a place people can get a hold of me. And so it, it's kind of work-related. So I, it, it's just, actually, it induces stress. So I started leaving my phone in the car. I'd come in from work. I'd make sure my phone was charged, and I'd just leave it on my dash. And if I needed to look something up, like a text message or something, I would go to my car. So there was a little bit of a delay that I had to, to go through to do something on the phone. And so it turned into a week, and then I finally made a decision that I wanted to talk about that this, this morning at church. So I decided I'm going to wait until today and take a break from not only web searches, but um, Netflix and Prime and all that stuff that, that I have a tendency to go to. And so it's been 42 days, and uh, this is what um, the fruit of it's been. Yes, there have been times when I was extremely bored. And there was actually a couple days where I couldn't eat because I had some stomach issues, and I came home and I was like, I can't eat. I can't look at the TV. I can't go to the Internet. What is there left in life to do? And uh, I guess I'm going to have to do some things that I normally don't do, like talk to my family and, um, and maybe... Just hang out. Um, so here's what happened to me. Um, I no longer was living in constant anxiety over the war between Ukraine and Russia. When that thing broke, I began. I was stuck to the internet. I mean, every half an hour for, until until 42 days ago, I knew every major place, major offensive. I knew the kind of weapons they were bringing in. I was actually relishing watching um, some of the combat scenes. I was looking for them on on YouTube. You know, so it was entertainment in, in many ways. But I was very anxious, and that immediately just came to a complete end. In fact, I have to ask people, what's going on in Ukraine, just so I don't, I'm not completely out of the loop. My general anxiety level has decreased significantly. Um, I only worry about things now that are right in front of me that I actually am responsible for. Um, I've had more time to read. I've had more time to pray. I've had more time to work outside, and I've had more time just to sit and talk to my family. And I'm more relaxed, and I have a greater sense of inner peace. And the thoughts that come to my mind are more often centered on God than they are worldly media. A few years ago, I went through a really difficult time at work, and so I came home and I watched an entire season of The Office in the spring, sometimes three hours a day. And I realized I began quoting Michael Scott from The Office much more than I was quoting Scripture. And it sounds funny, but... I began to be known as somebody who just, you know, always had a Michael Scott response, you know, and, and it actually kind of grieves me when I look back at that, because that's, it's funny, but I remember one time God told me, don't go for the laugh, go for influence. And um, so, again, these spiritual disciplines, if they're, as they're, if they're looked at as opportunities, they can be joy-filled practices, but if they're looked at as obligations, they will become dead laws. So consider fasting from the internet. And the third one is something I just, I really love talking about. It's reading Christian biography. Um, and, to, and to preface this little point, I was not a big reader in school. I bought many Hardy Boys books and never made it past the first or second chapter. I love the front covers, but I was never a good reader. Um, the scriptures really don't tell us 
explicitly to read Christian biography. However, the scriptures do tell us this in Hebrews 13. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So we see in Hebrews 12 a huge list of heroes of the faith. And we can look at their lives. We can go back into the Old Testament. We can see um, their lives fleshed out. And we can learn from their lives. We can learn from their mistakes. We can learn from their victories. And we can imitate the things that are good. But they're also um, post-canonical, extra-biblical um, examples of people who have gone before us, that we can study their lives and draw great, great encouragement. There's no substitute for reading the Bible, but I've personally experienced incredible encouragement from reading and really reading biographies. Um, you may know who John Wesley is. John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, um, a big revivalist in England, when he would go out and run his circuits on his horses, preaching from one village to the next, they said he would often be found with a huge volume on the, on the saddle horn of his saddle, um, just reading and absorbing. And he told his circuit riders, he said, if you're not reading, and he had a couple of books in general. One of them was, I think it's called A Serious and Devout Call to a Holy Life. And the other one was The Imitation of Christ. He says, if you're not reading, get out of the ministry. Now, you'll find other people. I think Smith Wigglesworth never read anything but the Bible. However, I've benefited greatly from reading biographies. Look at this quote from John Piper. Uh, biographies have served as much as any other human force in my life to overcome the inertia of mediocrity. So this is what Christian biography has done for me. It's opened my eyes to new possibilities of intimacy with God. I can read somebody else, and I can see that they've, they've had these incredible intimate relationships with God, and it encourages me to pursue the same. It's stirred up my faith to believe that God can do great things way beyond what the world tells me. It's inspired adventure and inspired me to take risks for God. We went to Ethiopia in 2011, and I think part of the reason we accepted that opportunity was because I had read Christian biography. It had stirred things in me for years. It's given me an understanding of church history, American history, world history. And and here are some specific examples of things that have encouraged me in reading biography. I learned this year, this, this last few months, by reading the biography of Milton Hershey, the founder of Hershey Chocolate and the Hershey Bar. Uh, this man who failed multiple times in business, yet refused to give up with his faith in Jesus, eventually became one of the most successful and wealthy businessmen in America, founding an entire town, Hershey, Pennsylvania, that was founded to supply and, and support the production of the Hershey Bar. And during the Great Depression, Milton Hershey was able to not only keep his company going, but, it, but it, was, it thrived during the Great Depression. And every one of his, and I can't remember how many thousands of employees, they were all fed and employed, and then their extended family members because of his diligent efforts. Now, one of the things I've loved about Milton Hershey was um, he realized that wealth was not satisfying. So he and his wife decided to give up 95% of their ownership of Hershey chocolate to found um, an orphan home, and he gave 95% of his income to sustain that orphan home um, forever. And so I looked it up. It's, it's called, I think it's called the Hershey School, something to, to that effect. It's still in existence, and it's the wealthiest um, privately funded um, boarding school in America for underprivileged youth. And so I just, I walked away from that going, this guy didn't give up. And he put his faith in Jesus. He would not give up. He kept persevering. And then, boom, 
God brought it all together, and look what happened. I've been inspired to get up early in the morning and to read the scriptures and pray because of reading the life of George Mueller. George Mueller was um, a, a missionary to England, and he founded uh, orphan houses in England, and he is said to have led and cared for um, 10,000 orphans over his lifetime in, uh, during um, some very difficult times in that, um, in that country. They say that George Mueller saw over 50,000 prayers answered. And there were three prayers that he had documented that he did not see answered. And there were for three people that were dear to him that he prayed that they would become believers. And after he died through his death, those three became believers. And if you read George Mueller's autobiography or biography or autobiography, you'll just be so inspired to believe that God can do whatever you need him to do. It's encouraging. This year, I read um, C.S. Lewis's biography. I, he, he, he was um, in the, the trenches of World War I with the mustard gas and the decaying bodies and the shrapnel and the machine gun fire. And his best friend was blown to bits. And he was laying there, and then he began recuperating in a hospital. And so that's how that story began. And you see the transformation of C.S. Lewis into becoming a, a cold, um, disinterested skeptic into becoming one of the greatest Christian apologists um, of the modern era. And he wrote some of the best literature. Reading his biography just really instilled in me the desire to continue reading and studying and developing my intellect. Um, one of my favorite biographies is by an Englishman named Wilfred Grenfell. He labored in the North Sea up and, up and down the coast of uh, Canada in fishing villages where um, the church had completely had no influence whatsoever. And so he would, he would hang out with these fishermen offshore. They would get their boats together, and they would, they would sell and buy and trade and all this, and then they would um, go ashore and sell their fish. What Grenfell would do is he befriended the fishermen and became part of that culture, and then he would go to these different villages where they were buying and selling fish and share the gospel. And he planted churches all up and down the Labrador coast of Canada. I also loved reading Grenfell's um, eccentric practices. Um, so he would get up in the mornings when the rest of the sailors were rubbing their eyes and trying to get over their hangovers, and he would strip off most of his clothes onto the deck of one of these fishing boats in the ice-covered North Sea and do calisthenics, they called it gymnastics at the time, on the deck of these boats, kind of at the, at the awe of all these sailors. And then he would jump into the icy, frigid waters of the North Atlantic and take a swim. And he swore that that, that, that um, warded off all kinds of sickness. And um, I tried jumping into my cold swimming pool when it was about 70, and I thought, that's something I'm going to leave for um, Wilfred Grenfell. Um, I loved reading the biography of George Washington Carver, a kidnapped slave who exercised extremely simple faith to become one of the greatest scientific innovators America has ever seen. And I just love his story. I, mean, I, I read things. He had one suit that he wore decade after decade. He made that suit himself, and he continued mending that suit. And there was one point where they had, of course, I'm going to kind of get the story a little mixed up here, but he, he had to go into a laboratory and figure out a use for the peanut. And he prayed and said, um, God, give me a use for this little uh, this little peanut that's right here. And, and God gave him over a period of a week and 300 uses of the peanut, which were patented and are some of those are still in use today. 
And it was by him trusting that God would give him revelation. He just locked himself in the little lab and came out with 300 uses. I mean, it's just incredible. Um, what I'm really looking forward to doing is when I, if I, if I do get to anticipate my last breath, I've actually written down a list of people I'm looking forward to connecting with in heaven. And most of them, besides friends and family, are going to be people I've read about in my biographies. And we're going to have eternity. There is no end of time. So I want to spend a couple hundred years talking to, 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 uh, to Carver and to George Mueller and to all these people who have become my heroes and really friends. Now, I want to give you a, before I close with this, I want to give you a little bit of a um, disclaimer about reading biography. Often biography is written with one perspective, one point of view, and sometimes people's lives are romanticized. So when you read biography, realize this is not the full picture. Some of the people that I read about and wanted to emulate, um, I read other biographies about them, and some of them were tyrants. Some of them had horrible tempers. Some of them went off and didn't finish well. But you can really learn something from reading biography and considering what God has done in people's lives. So I just wanted to share some, some things to pique your interest. These are my applications for these principles. Um, if you want any... Um, any support on how to find good biographies. I've got some. The ones I read are for 10 and up, um, 10, ages 10 and up. Um, there's one by Eric Metaxas on Bonhoeffer. It's just thick. That's the kind of biography I stay far away from. Um, I like the ones that are um, for children. Um, anyway, I, I hope you've, maybe, maybe if you guys will grasp onto something, uh, consider memorizing the TMS. Topical memory system, you can get it at Mardell, you can get it at Amazon, you can go to the app store and get it. Consider putting your phones away for a while. And, uh, and maybe for some of you, it's, it's going to be, you're going to be done with entertainment for good. This kind of entertainment. And then consider reading biographies, because they've been so encouraging to me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, for the ways you've given us, some of them very pleasurable, to seek you and to grow. Um, I pray that there would be some, some fruit from this this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.